Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Sri Bhuglani, and today on Raise the Line, I'm happy to be joined by Dr. Sahil Mehta. Dr. Mehta is the founder of Med School Coach and nationally known as one of the premier experts in medical school admissions. He has guided thousands of successful medical school applicants and is also a practicing physician in Boston, where he specializes in vascular and interventional radiology. So, Dr. Mehta, thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks, Shiv. Really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you guys. So, you're a physician and a successful entrepreneur. Let's wear the first hat first. What led you to a career in medicine and then specifically radiology? So, I was an engineer in college. I always thought I was going to be an aerospace engineer because I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. But then when I got through engineering, I, I realized that the aerospace engineers don't actually design the entire rocket ship. They kind of just design like one little bolt on it. And I, I decided that that wasn't really for me. And so I, I was a lost soul. You know, I, I was going through all kinds of things. I At some point, I was thinking about studying for the LSAT. I bought an LSAT book. And I was like, oh, patent law, that sounds cool. I like technology. That's interesting. At some point, I was like, consulting, that sounds interesting because all my friends are going to consulting. And so I was really, you know, I was exploring around, in all honesty, for a long time. And I, I kind of remember, I actually, I had a family member who was so enamored by her job. She loved it. She said it was like the coolest job ever. She's a couple of years older than me. And I kind of digged and I was like, you know, what do you do? And she was a marketing, she was a marketing person and, and her job was awesome to her. She went and made all these great marketing campaigns. And at the end of the day, her overall goal was to sell more deodorant than the other company. And I was like, wow, you know, this is somebody who really loves their job. The job sounds cool. But at the end of the day, her job is to sell more deodorant than the other guy, right? Like, how do I feel about that? For for the right person, it's phenomenal. But I I just didn't feel like I was connecting with that. I didn't feel like I could go to a job where at the end of the day, I wasn't really feeling satisfied. I didn't really feel like I gave back. I didn't really feel like I made a difference in a person's life. So that's sort of what led me down the medicine path a little bit. And then my father was a doctor. And so that was one of the reasons why I thought I would never go into medicine because he was a doctor. And I was like, forget it. There's no way I'm going into that profession. But as I sort of explored and thought more, it came down to, you know, at the end of the day, if I can come home and be really happy with what I did, if I can feel like I made a difference in somebody's life, that's pretty cool. And that, you know, that's, that's an interesting thing. And then of course, you know, with that, there's so many interesting things within medicine. You know, I mean, we're at the cusp of phenomenal growth in medicine. If you think about what we can do today compared to what we can do 20 years ago, compared to what we can do 50 years ago, like the next 50 years, I mean, it's just going to be crazy in terms of what we're going to be able to do. So I, I really felt like medicine was the perfect combination of like technology, applied science, people feeling good about yourself, teaching, which I love to do. So it all kind of came together. And I said, okay, I'll go to med school. Once you got into medical school, I'm curious, how did you kind of navigate which specialty to choose and then wind up ultimately choosing interventional radiology? Yeah, so so similar story. I was, again, a lost soul in med school, and I wasn't sure what I was going to go into. You know, I, I explored a bunch of different specialties. 
came into med school thinking pediatrics was what I was going to do. I love kids. I love taking care of kids. I thought it was fun. But then when I got onto my general pediatrics rotation, I was like, ah, you know what? This isn't really for me. For some people, again, it's awesome that they love that stuff, but it wasn't, it wasn't for me. I loved interacting with the kids, but I didn't like thinking about the, you know, the amount of kilojoules and a formula or whatever it is that general pediatricians think about. So I was like, you know, pediatrics is not for me. And so we won't tell Rishi, our chief medical officer is a pediatric <laughs> idea attending. So hopefully he won't won't listen to this episode about that <laughs> yeah. yeah don't let them know but listen pediatricians like i got all the credit in the world for them but i just can't do it i can't i, I couldn't do it if you just let me play with the kids i'm good but the other stuff i wasn't really interested in but you know it came down to at the end of the day i really wanted to do something where i felt like i can make a quick impact in somebody's life i i liked the sort of surgical aspects of things i like being able to get in there make an impact move on and so I, I explored different specialties, and I, I'll tell you the quick anecdote of sort of how I came to interventional radiology. And this was like second year of med school, and we were going through a lecture on portal hypertension, varices, and they were talking about a TIPS procedure. And you know, the TIPS procedure is a procedure essentially where you're able to create a new pathway for blood to flow. And I was sitting there, and they were talking about how the mesenteric system, when you have varices and when you have liver disease, you get varices that eventually bleed. And there's this procedure where you could go in through the neck, create an entire new pathway for blood to flow, and then essentially put a bandaid on a person's neck and tell them that they're they're good to go. And I was like, I was like, whoa, 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 what just happened here? What what were we just able to do? That was awesome. And so I got super excited and I said, okay, you know what, maybe this is maybe this is where I want to be. And so that's sort of how I ended up down the route of interventional radiology. And you know, th that procedure I again distinctly remember sitting there in a med school lecture and being like, whoa, that that's pretty sick. It's something I do every day of the every day of the week now. And it's pretty cool. It's still cool. It's still cool to me that I can essentially, you know, through just a tiny hole in the neck be able to create an entire new pathway for blood to flow through the body. And so interventional radiology has been this awesome field for me because it it's one where I can use my hands. I'm very technical. I do procedures. I see patients. I follow them up long-term. Some of them I follow up short-term. It's not like diagnostic radiology. I'm not necessarily put, a, put away in a corner and not interacting with patients or physicians. It's sort of very much like a minimally invasive surgical field. And, and the amount of things that we can take care of, the amount of procedures we can do from somebody who says, hey, my I have varicose veins and my legs are sort of don't look good in a bikini. Can you help me? To the guy who's dying on the table in that very instant, we take care of that entire spectrum. And I think that's that's very cool about interventional radiology. Totally. It reminds me of that one of my favorite quotes from Arthur C. Clarke is any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. And the way you describe like the tips procedure sounds that yeah. way. We also had another guest on Raise Line, David Fischel, who's the CEO of Stereotaxis, which is also a very cool robotic, minimally invasive surgical company that maybe you've seen in the past. So switching gears from your career as a physician to your career as an entrepreneur and founding med school coach, we'd love to hear that backstory and then transition right into kind of how COVID has maybe increased demand because we've seen that med school applications are up about 20% this year relative to last year. So we'd love to hear you know, how you founded it and then what COVID has done to the business. Yeah. So, I mean, I founded it out of a, out of a passion project almost, you know, I, I was basically, I exceeded 
what I should have been able to do in a med school application sense for my own personal sort of application. You know, I did fine in college. I did okay on the MCAT. I wasn't a great, you know, it wasn't a great score by any means whatsoever. Yet I was able to sort of get into some really fantastic schools at the end of the day. And, and I realized I was able to do that because of the way I was able to present myself, put together an application, put together on paper. And I was back actually, this was during medical school, which is 15, 20 years ago at this point, like when we started, I distinctly remember helping some of my friends who were applying to medical school. And I would look at their personal statement and I said, Ooh, this is, this is really rough. This is what you're going to apply with. Are you sure? Can you, and, can you and name we, some names on this call? Or? No, <laughs> I shouldn't, I shouldn't name any names, but, but I looked at it and, you know, we sort of worked together and we said, okay, we kind of really transformed it. And I realized, Oh, this is something, there's something to this, you know, people, don't necessarily always know how to sell themselves. And it's sort of the, it's a, it's a hard thing to do, right? It's a hard thing to talk about themselves. It's a hard thing to synthesize four or five years of work into a 5,300 character personal statement at the end of the day. But that was something that I was able to do pretty well. And so I started doing that. I said, oh, you know what? There's, there's maybe an opportunity in here for a little business. And so I basically started this little business and that's all it was. I was helping some students get through. I loved teaching. I loved doing that. So it was kind of fun. I was mentoring you know, those behind me. And then that eventually just kept on growing, kept on growing, kept on growing to the point where now we have, you know, hundreds of advisors, hundreds of tutors. We do MCAT, we do admissions consulting, we do USMLE. We're sort of able to help people through the entire spectrum. And it's been, it's been a very cool journey to see where this company, which, you know, I founded and ran out of my basement. And by basement, I mean like six different basements across like seven different apartments that I was doing is now turned into this, this real organization, this really fantastic organization with thousands of students who've, who've gone through with us pretty much on a yearly basis now. And so, so it's been a lot of fun. And the great thing about entrepreneurship is that these are skills and things that you do not learn in medical school, right? These are not medical school related things, yet they're so applicable to medicine on an everyday basis. And so I'm in this cool position where I can actually take both of my jobs and almost combine them and it meshes into kind of one at the end of the day, because I can take a lot of what I learn on the med school coach side and apply it to how we run a practice. And I can take obviously the medical side and apply it to you know mentoring students and helping them through the process of taking the MCAT, getting into med school and everything else that they have to do. Yeah, no, it's super gratifying. I mean, I was on your site the other day and you know, over half a million of hours of tutoring and helping with uh, personal statements, 12,000 students at least is probably growing quite a bit. To that second question then of like, how has COVID affected the demand for med school coach, just given how many people are applying? And, and can you give our audience a sense of like, how many people actually apply to medical school each year? How many spots are there? Those kind of basic stats that I know you're, you're intimately familiar with. Sure. So, you know, in any given year, there's about 50,000 or so people who apply to med school and about 20,000 seats. These are approximate numbers, but in 2019, it was like 5,300 and 2,100 students or so. So you're talking about a percentage of around 45% of people who get in, 55% who get left out. So medical school is unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, one of the most competitive things that you can do and apply into, right? It's not like college where they're really competitive schools and then there are a lot of schools that aren't. In med school, really every single school in the country is super competitive in its own way. And so 
when you have only this limited number of seats and all these students applying, it certainly puts pressure on students to sort of do a lot of activities, you know, make sure their grades are great, all those kind of things. COVID has really thrown a little bit of a wrench into this. We're seeing a increase of around 20% of applicants uh, applications this year. Schools are reporting an AMC and ACOM, which is the osteopathic organization that runs sort of the ACOM application. They're seeing a 17 to 20% increase as well. So you're seeing a lot more students put in applications. Some of that may simply be because students are applying to more schools, right? In sort of the uncertainty of COVID, people are applying to a bunch more schools. People are realizing that they don't have to maybe fly everywhere for interviews like they used to. And so people are applying to even more schools than they normally would. But you also had a group of students who sort of were left out of whatever they were planning to do for that gap year. And then you had another group of students who maybe normally would have taken their MCAT a little bit later and applied the following year, that this year, everybody took their MCAT later. And so everybody was late on the MCAT because of all the cancellations. So people were just deciding to go ahead and apply. So all that said, you know, we won't know the exact numbers until next year when AMC publishes them, but schools have reported, AMC has already reported, ACOM has reported that there's a substantial increase in the number of applicants to medical school. I mean, that puts a strain because there's not a number of increase in seats. As you know, the seats sort of don't increase at the same pace at all. Seats increase by one to 2% per year or so. Every couple of years, there's new schools added. And there's been a conscious effort in the last few years to certainly add new schools, particularly those focused around primary care and some of the more underserved areas. But it's nowhere near a 20% increase in sort of total number of students. So, so that definitely leaves students in this super competitive process already potentially applying for an even more competitive process at the end of the day. But I think what you're actually going to see is probably even more competition as we get further into the next three, four years, because I think you're seeing a renewed interest in medicine, you know, for a time period where in the past, it's been computer science, finance, you know, those kind of things where, you know, a lot of the brain drain has gone. Not to say that really smart people don't go into medicine. Of course they do. But with the COVID situation, with how much healthcare professionals have sort of been in the spotlight, how much public health professionals, how much infectious disease docs have sort of, you know, been in the spotlight, I think you're only going to see more and more people interested in these fields and these careers over the course of the next three, four or five years you know, imagine you're a high school senior right now. And for the last, you know, six months, you've seen the incredible amount of work that healthcare providers are doing. You're seeing nurses, doctors, everybody on the front line sort of treating this pandemic. You can't help but be interested and you can't help but be intrigued by medicine is my feeling. And so I think you're going to get more people interested and more people into our profession at the end of the day. I definitely echo those sentiments. It's definitely what I've heard from other raised line guests and I think will be one of the few bright spots that come out of 2020, hopefully. One question I have for you is, you know, I know there's a lot of things people do to be more competitive as applicants, obviously MCAT, uh, volunteerism, research, et cetera. What are your thoughts around people actually demonstrating their interest in, in healthcare careers by becoming allied health professionals? So for example, maybe a person becoming a nursing assistant or becoming a medical assistant or a scribe even, 
before they apply to med school? Is that something that's looked on favorably? Is that something that has no effect? What are your thoughts on that? Listen, there's no better way to explore the career of medicine than to be in front of a patient. That is, at the end of the day, what medicine is all about. And so if you are out there thinking through, you know, is this something that I want to do? You can watch TV, you can watch Scrubs or ER, you can watch whatever. Does anybody watch Scrubs or ER anymore? Probably not. That's probably something new. But that's what I watched when I, when I was growing But I think Grey's Anatomy is in like its 25th season or something yeah. too. So. <laughs> so, so you can watch one of these shows. But listen, at the end of the day, nothing actually captures what it means to be a healthcare provider than providing healthcare, right? And so these jobs like a nursing assistant, like a medical scribe, any of these things where you're actually in front of a patient, at a hospital, in a clinic, whatever it might be, and understanding and interacting with people in the healthcare setting is by far the best thing you can do to explore the career. It looks good, obviously, on the medical application. You can prove to somebody that, hey, this is really what I want to do. I've done X, Y, and Z in order to get myself familiar with the career. And you know, some of the things you've mentioned, I think, go even above and beyond shadowing, right? Shadowing has always been one of these things where medical schools want it. You want a shadow. You want to understand what a physician does. But a shadow to me is a fly on the wall, right? You're, you're that person in the back of the room who, who, maybe is who maybe is listening to the interactions, but you're not actually there providing care, right? I think it's a valuable experience, but medical schools want to see you take that another step, right? A step beyond, a step further. If you're actually taking care of the patient in some way, right? You're not going to do surgeries. You're not going to prescribe the medication, but you're interacting with them, you're holding their hand, whatever it might be, you know, that is huge from an admissions committee standpoint. The way you're going to be able to craft your essays, the way you're going to be able to talk about that on interviews, the way you're going to be able to put that together in an activities list goes a long way in, in showing your true genuine interest. And forget even about showing your true genuine interest for a second to medical schools. You should know as a prospective student, prospective physician, is this what I want to do? Because too many people go into it or think they want to go into it because maybe doctors make a lot of money. By the way, that's not true. Maybe it's because you know they saw that cool episode on Grey's Anatomy or House or whatever. 99% of that is probably you know medically inaccurate. So you got to kind of really get yourself into the mode to make sure this is what you want to do. Yeah, totally. I mean, you've spot on. I can see why you started med school coach and why so many people come to you. So I know we're coming up on time, but I guess two questions I had for you. One is, what do you think as a physician and somebody who's advised so many current and future physicians, what do you think are some of the lasting changes that will occur as a result of COVID or should occur as a result of COVID? So I will tell you this experience from you know being in the hospital, treating COVID patients, being at a hospital in a big city that has a lot of medical centers. Pre-COVID, we stunk at communicating with each other. Post-COVID, we're slightly better about it, which is to say there are things like access to OMR systems across different hospitals, which are absolutely needed, right? A, a patient who goes to a hospital across the street versus our hospital, we don't talk to each other, right? Our hospital communications don't talk to each other. It's hard to cooperate, but COVID has sort of taken down some of those barriers. I'll just do again in our hospital system, there's now a little link where we can go and click on and see the hospital across the street and everything that's going on for that that patient there. So we're able to communicate and it's broken down some of these barriers that have been up for so long. And so 
if there's one positive, maybe that's a positive. The other positive, I think, is the emergence of, of telehealth. In this, I myself, in my own clinical practice, I still I get patients from Maine, I get patients from New, uh, New Hampshire, I get patients from Vermont, I get patients from Connecticut, who used to have to drive three, four hours to come see me for a clinical visit. And now, sort of the telehealth model is, is much more appreciated and much more available. And oftentimes I'll see the patient for the first time for telehealth. I'll see them for follow-up in telehealth. And the only time I have to see them physically in person is of course, when I'm doing the procedure on them. So that's, I think the telehealth aspect, the ways that we're able to communicate the barriers that have been in place are slowly starting to fade away. Now I wish they faded away a lot quicker. I wish they were all gone. I wish we could just understand everything about every patient, you know, no matter what hospital they walked into. But maybe that's a silver lining of all this. Maybe that's a silver lining of what's happened here and we can use that to build forward. Yeah, no, those are definitely some words that I would echo myself. And my, I know we're just at times. So my last question for you is a question that I think you get every day. You've probably answered more times than you can count, which is what advice would you give to somebody right now considering a career in healthcare you know, maybe a young Sahil Mehta deciding not to go to law school and maybe to go to med school, what, what, would you, what would you tell him? So I would tell him a couple of things. Number one, it is a long, long road. Make sure that this is what you want to do. It goes back to what you talked about, Shiv, like, you know, exploring the career, getting your experiences, making sure this is what you want to do. You know, I, I just talked about the fact that it was 15 years ago or plus, I, I literally cannot keep track of when I started med school, right? It is a long time ago. It just takes a long time to get through your medical school, your training, your residency, your fellowship, and then finally you're an attending. And by the way, it's not like you're attending and like you're partying on the beach all of a sudden, like life sometimes gets harder at that point. So it is just a very long, grueling process where you're going to see your friends who maybe did go to law school or went to consulting or went to finance, you know, and getting six-figure jobs out of school while you're still slogging away and working 90 hours a week for 40K because that's what a resident salary is, like you gotta like it at the end of the day and you gotta make sure that this is what you wanna do because if it's not, you're gonna be miserable, right? So first, make sure you like it. Second, if you decide you do like it, go all in because it's actually a phenomenal career. Like, and I, I don't know if I would have said that, honestly, five years ago, seven years ago, 10 years ago, but I think I do say that today because at least for me, I found this really awesome place in my practice where I get to take care of patients. They are so grateful for the care that they receive. I come home at the end of every day and I feel good about what I've done. I feel like I've challenged myself. I feel like mentally and physically, I've sort of put my skills to work for the betterment of somebody. And so if you decide this is for you, it's awesome at the end of the day, right? And so, so go for it go all in. You can make it there. Don't worry about the fact that, you know, you got a bad grade here or a bad grade there. Like there's plenty of opportunity to make up for that. Medical schools at the end of the day are looking for great applicants, applicants who are interested in caring for patients. I've worked with applicants who have come to me when they've gone through the application process for a third or fourth time. They're still struggling and we're able to get them in eventually. And they're going to make phenomenal doctors, right? I can tell they're going to make phenomenal doctors just because they struggled in biochem in, you know, freshman year of college doesn't mean diddly squat, you know, and sort of how, how good a physician you're going to be at the end of the day. And so for those of you out there who are sort of, you know, in the process, thinking about going through the process, explore it. If you like it, go all in. 
it's worth it at the end of the day. Some great advice and also echoed by people like the Dean of Harvard Medical School who we had on the podcast who would say the exact same thing. So Dr. Mehta, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today and not only doing the work you do at Med School Coach, but also treating patients on a, on a weekly basis, as, you, as we mentioned at the beginning. No problem. It was fun talking. I appreciate it. And with that, I'm Shivrilani. Thank you to our audience for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line since we're all in this together. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast.